This is Cinema Degeneration. If I may put forward a slice of personal philosophy, I feel that man has ruled this world as a stumbling, demented child king long enough. And as his empire crumbles, my precious black widow shall rise as his most fitting successor. I'm Frederick Lawrence. I've rented the house on Haunted Hill tonight so that my wife can give a party. A haunted house party. She's so amusing. There'll be food and drink and ghosts. And perhaps even a few murders. You're all invited. Can you look around this world and believe in the goodness of a god who rules it? Famine, pestilence, war, disease, and death. They rule this world. The mark of Satan is upon them. They must hang. And now for you, Bartholomew, my beloved brother, while you are still alive, my ultimate device of torture. Now he must die. The Dr. Death that we created, he must die. I am not afraid. There is always room for more in the coffin of time. The instinct is alive within me. And you, Dr. Death, are you afraid? No. No, you're going home. Come. Nine killed you. Nine shall die. Nine eternities in doom. The tingler has been paralyzed by your screaming. There is no more danger. We will now resume the showing of the movie. This was my father's world, Mr. Barnett. The shrieking of mutilated victims became the music of his life. The blood of a thousand men and women was spilled within these walls. Limbs twisted and broken. Flesh burned black. Starring Vincent Price, truly a master of the macabre. John Carr in a challenging role. Barbara Steele, more blood-chilling than in Black Sunday. And introducing taunting Luana Anders. Nicholas. Is that you? Elizabeth? While we were up here mourning her, she was alive. Struggling to be free. Then you are lying, sir. When Maria screamed, where were you? You lie! I'm going to torture you, Isabella. I'm going to make you suffer for your faithlessness to me. <laughs> you harlot! All the violence of angry seas. The unseen forces of the unknown. The unforgettable memories of a long-forgotten childhood. All these you will feel in your very blood. <laughs> where you are, Bartholomew. You are about to enter hell. 
All righty, folks, welcome once again to Cinema Degeneration's Vincent Price Appreciation Month. We got the first of, of hopefully, of several, the Poe edition, I call them, or the Poe series of uh, Vincent Price's career. We're going to be covering 1961's The Pit in the Pendulum, directed by none other than the legend himself, Roger Corman. And joining me this evening, or I should say this morning, is my good buddy Eric Phillips. How the hell are we? Oh, we're doing good as always. Ready to cover some twisted ass Poe type shit? Oh, always. <laughs> well, those of you who don't don't know, there was a quite a, quite a uh, thing for Poe and Roger Corman and Vincent Price in the '60s. They did several films. I think the one previous to this was House of Usher. After this uh, came the, the the Raven and Mask of Red Death, Tomb of Legea. And a couple I others. know Pit in the Pendulum was 1960 and The Raven was 1963, so I do believe House of Usher was 62. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I thought House of Usher was the first one, but I'm, you're, you might be right. I'm going off solely by memory, but they did several of them. It was They had a run of things in the 60s with you know, Poe and Roger Corman and Vincent Price went together just like Stephen King and George Romero in the 80s. Oh, yes. You know, but that being said, this is based off the original short story by the master of horror himself, Edgar Allan Poe. And I'll give you the quick IMDb synopsis for The Pit and the Pendulum. In the 16th century, Francis Bernard travels to Spain to clarify the strange circumstances of his sister's death after she had married the son of a cruel Spanish inquisitor. Inqu- inquisitor. <laughs> well, tongue-tied there. Uh, but a little bit of trivia, the screenplay was written by none other than Richard Matheson that would go on to, uh, you know, uh, Vincent Price would go on to star in Last Man on Earth based on his story, I Am Legend, many years later. Not many, a couple, <laughs> several years later. And I don't know. So, Eric, what was your first impression of Pit and the Pendulum? When I first saw the film, it was, you know, kind of surreal and it was a little above my head because I was so young. But then, you know, going back and rewatching it, you know, they really did a good job. Uh, you know, interpreting around such a short story to make it kind of their own. Um, you know, it, it loosely follows Poe's work uh, for a majority of the film. Again, trying to make a uh, three-page, <laughs> trying to get, get a three-page uh, screenplay or three-page short story turned into script. There's got to be uh, at least a little bit of embellishment. Right. But the way they do it, they do it very, very well. And again, it comes to that that classic tale of don't fuck with mentally ill people. Yeah, there seems to be a, a recurring theme in at least half of the movies we do is this people take advantage of the mentally Ill, Ill or ill properly caring for them. Right. Because I got I got a feeling, you know, but we'll, we'll ruin this, try to ruin this in a linear fashion in order, you know. But but by the time you get to the end, you realize it's a man not a man that's mad. It's be a man who's being driven mad. Right. And you know, it's just leave the mentally ill alone. <laughs> but no, what happens? John Kerr shows up. The beginning of the movie is Francis Bernard, the sister of uh, Nicholas Medina's wife, uh, Elizabeth. 
And uh, Nicholas Medina is played by Vincent Price, who got Barbara Steele as Elizabeth Medina, who is, uh, I'm using air quotes here, been long dead for the last several months. But John Kerr shows up, and I I wrote this down twice in my in, in my in my notes. John Kerr is a fine actor. He he does the the role well. He's instantly smug, and you just know what kind of a guy you know what kind of a character you're in for. But I hate his face. <laughs> I, I hate to be judgmental on looks alone, but I hate the guy's face. He's he's, he's smug. You just want to kind of. I think it's a testament to how good of an actor he is. He comes across very smug and you just kind of want to wipe that off his face. Right. He has a very sour disposition about him. It would be uh, the predecessor uh, of resting bitch face. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it would. But, you know, he shows up because his sister's been dead and he, he's, you know, he wants to find out what happened to her. And Barbara Steele is for largely part of the movie is just shown in a couple of brief flash flashbacks. But the opening of this movie was uh, filmed in California, strangely enough. And that, oh, that when that carriage drops him off, I can't help but think that must have taken him about two days to make that walk to the castle in the middle of that big old matte painting. Like he had had to like when he drops him off on the uh, the the beach, it's almost like when Renfield gets dropped off at Dracula's castle. It's like, nope, you can ride the rest of your way up there. I ain't going, sir. Right. But, but Luanna Anders uh, answers the door for old Francis as uh, she plays Catherine Medina. She is uh, Vincent Price's uh, sister, and mostly I remember her from Easy Rider. Much different film than this, but. Uh, yeah, Easy Rider, much, much, much different kind of film. We'll have to cover that one one day on Grindhouse Pizzeria. Francis pushes his way into the, the castle past the butler and uh, uh, Catherine. And he's like, take me to my sister's grave. Well, and she's interred below, which is the family custom. It's like, is it really? Is it really the family custom? I think not. I don't think so. <laughs> Right, you know, family custom kind of is the you know notify the loved one that they died, not just kind of seal them up and then wait three months to be like, oh, by the way, yeah, you know, that's one thing that strikes like they didn't even send word. He came yep. looking for her because she had went missing for ten, heard from her for three months. Yep. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, that's the family custom is to keep everything a damn secret and not tell anybody. So, and then act surprised when they come knocking on your door. <laughs> right. But the first real note I have here is Francis is way too inquisitive for his own good. Like, I understand where he's coming from. I understand. I can't blame Francis uh, being rude. You know, I'm, but what an asshole. He, he is such an asshole. Just accusatory on every level. And the thing is, he ends up being wrong in his accusations. He's he, he gets himself into more trouble than I think the whole situation was wor worth if he just stayed away. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. But I, I, next note I have here is this. I'm sure you'll agree, but the sets are so magnificent, and the the wardrobe is like impeccable to the time period because I think it's That's supposed to be taking place in like 1545. Right. Um, this is going to be, you know, kind of a, you know, people that are familiar with, you know, me and you chatting back and forth about movies. You know, this is going to they're going to see a really different side of the conversation with this one on me, because, you know, 
80s movies and, and the horror cheese that I like so much. That's kind of entertainment for me. That's, you know, that's where a lot of my comedy comes from. That's where a lot you know humor comes from. But I have an absolute love for older movies and especially the silver screen. And it's mainly because of those things, the props, the sets, the way that they, you know, they, the meticulous details that they spent so much time doing. And they still do that today with a lot of good movies, but you don't see it like that anymore. You don't see the big elaborate sets, you know, that are, You know, you could tell that they went down to a friggin' thrift store in fucking California, picked all that shit up for a song, and then turned it into a castle display. But right. they're beautiful. They they have that feel of the stage and movies all at once. It's not supposed to be real life. It's supposed to look surreal, and that you know, it's, yeah. it's a beautiful well, the, it's a beautiful look in cinema. The castle itself, you know twists and turns and the possible angles and the clothes are super exaggerated, but they're also very like time accurate. Yeah. They're very period. Yeah. Very. It's a very much a period piece. And because uh, uh, the, the, the film's low budget, none of the sets were constructed quote unquote from scratch. They used, they had a floor plan set up. Um, I think the, I think they filmed it in a right off the coast of Palos Verdes in the the California studios outside of Hollywood, but they pieced it together from different sets that they had gotten from like universal and MGM and stuff like that. And they cobbled everything together. Right. I bet you half of that castle was probably from the monsters. Yeah. Yeah. It might've been. It was either the monsters or something, you know, early period pieces like, you know, like house of Frankenstein or, you know, horror Dracula or something like that. Othello. Yep, yep, early Henry V. But, you know, but again, the magnificent sets, impeccable wardrobe. And I think the first real bit that you see uh, Vincent Price is when they're going downstairs, they hear the noises downstairs of Francis, pretty much pushes his way into the castle, doesn't, ignores everybody, and just pushes his way through the the place until he gets to the room where Price is, uh, as Nicholas is hiding behind. And, you know, I mean, let's face it, he's hiding torture devices back there. But the way well, actually the uh, the way that uh, I don't want to reveal too much, but the way the door he comes behind is the door everybody exits at the end of the movie. <laughs> yep. Yep. But when and we so he's, into- he's fascinated. It's it's one of those things I never caught before. He's fascinated with that room. That's why they show him in there so early for some reason he's fascinated with that room and it could be you know an early sign of him coming unhinged because he's obsessed with what's in that room oh he's or, definitely coming in he's come he's come unhinged before anybody else set foot in this place well he's he wasn't i wouldn't say he was unhinged. not unhinged but he was i would say way. he was i think he was disturbed <laughs> well the first time it, you really see anything is when the way Price first reacts to the creaks when he hears the creaks uh, in his wife's room that he takes the brother to, and he starts hearing the creaks like somebody's walking. The first, like the look of terror on Vincent Price's face, you can feel it. It's palpable. Yes, like, you know, he for being a guy who was known as being so sinister and whatnot, he spends half this movie 
you know, have this movie himself being psychologically tortured. Right. Well, that's what made Vincent Price such a great actor is that he could turn it on and off so fast. And, you know, you, you look at his other films, you know, like let's take, for example, the famous one house on haunted Hill. Everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. He's so just snide and you, you can feel the venom in his voice when he's talking to his wife in that movie about how they try to kill each other, essentially. <laughs> and it's yeah, just like, and it's such a matter crap. of fact way. It's such a yeah, matter of fact just, way. Like, like oh, if you gave me the poison deer, I would certainly drink it. You know, right? It's just so. And and then you go to this, and you know, and you're so used to seeing him as either you know, a villain or, you know, a, somebody who's a little disturbed or just sinister. And he here he's just he's kind of feeble. He's kind of weak. And he's scared. Know, he's, he's, I wouldn't say so much scared as. Uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not fearful either. Uh, kind of dreading. I guess dread. Yeah. Mm. Uh, existential dread. Yep. Well, he's a man that I think feels haunted, but especially by, you know, the quote unquote demons of his past. Yeah. Uh, you know, but when, uh, Anthony Carbone as Dr. Charles Leon shows up when he shows up, I'm not going to give too much away, but I instantly did not trust him. I'm trying to remember back to the, you know, this is, I've probably seen this more than 10 times, but, you know, like instantly the vibes I get from him is do not trust. Right. And well, back then, those movies, they made it kind of they made it kind of obvious with how they typecasted the roles and stuff. So that's probably why you get that vibe. Right. Right. <laughs> but at but, the same time, yeah, I mean, he, he even he's, there's just certain characters that come off. You're like, yeah, I'm not going to trust you. <laughs> Well, in this movie, everybody's kind of chips away at the story. They chip the story away, you know, from uh, from Nicholas. You know, uh, you know, Francis gets one version of the story. Then a few 15 minutes later, Catherine gives him another version of the story of how Elizabeth died. And then the doctor shows up and he gives kind of an extra bit of the story, you know, which eventually it comes down to that Elizabeth, quote unquote, had a rare blood disorder that stopped her heart. But then it was, no, she died of fright. Then you, the plot thickens even further, and you find out that Medina is the son of uh, Nicholas, and Medina is the son of the uh, Sebastian Medina. That was a one of the worst torturers in the in the whole of the Spanish Inquisition. Right. And, and this is where What's I randomly it? have a note of it in the middle of in all capital letters. I also wrote down again. I hate Francis's face. Oh, you know, that's not what I was expecting when you had it written down in all capital letters. I thought it was going to be no one ever suspects the Inquisition, but OK. No, uh, no, I missed that one. I miss I went for I didn't go for the low, low swinging fruit <laughs> for one. Uh, the, lo no, the low swinging fruit is the song the Inquisition. <laughs> that's the low hanging fruit, man. Yeah. We're not going for the Ministry of Silly Walks over here. <laughs> no, 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 no. But this is where they reveal the, one of the grandest scenes in the movie. When they reveal 
it's probably a good 30 minutes into the movie, I guess, 35 minutes in, where they show the infamous torture chamber. And all, you know, they got, you know, the rack, they got the Iron Maiden, and, and the pendulum is hidden off in another room. We don't quite see that late, you know, until late into the movie, but you know there's going to be a pendulum because it's called the yes. pit and the pendulum. It's coming, well, folks. It's kind of like winter. It's coming slowly, but well, it's coming. They, if you see it out there, they... They had some really horrible torture devices in there too. They had stuff that they didn't explain. With like they had the uh, they had the instruments in there heating over the fire to 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 uh, basically what they would do is they would pull your tongue and they'd burn it off your mouth if you oh, were nice if you were <laughs> if you were speaking untruths or if you happened like to insult the monarchy or. If they pretty much thought you were lying. <laughs> or if well, you, you looked know, at them funny, because that's, funny, I, that's I the laugh. evil eye. See, I laugh sometimes when people say they want to go back back in time to much simpler times, okay? But you got to be specific, like how far back. <laughs> you Because know, there was a time when all they did to, to, you know, to cure illnesses would prescribe cocaine and give you leeches. You know, I mean... <laughs> right, there is a time where, you know, you could be taking a shit behind a random bush and get a spear in your ass because you were being invaded and they were quiet enough that the fucking entire country didn't know it was happening. Right, right. Uh, but it, it, there's this one issue I got here is one of the few things about the movie that I don't like, and it's a minor gripe. When they go into the flashbacks... You know, where they start showing uh, Nicholas and his his late wife, Elizabeth, you know, at much happier times and then kind of not so much in happier times, showing the decline of her her mental stabli- stability before she died in, quote unquote, news and air quotes here again, died in the Iron Maiden. Did you not feel like that that the film tint was very weird? There was no rhyme or reason to me. The shots of the of the, the flashbacks would go green and then sometimes blue, and sometimes purple and magenta. If it had been, if it had went with more of a, uh, it just felt like the color scheme was very random. It was. I don't know why they did that. They do that at the opening of the movies too. If you notice, uh, um, like for over example, getting credits. Yeah, over the beginning credits. If you notice the the Raven credits are very similar to the. Uh, Credits in Pit and Penny, and I'm. They, they, it's just I, I don't know if it was just the '60s thing that they did that shit, or if they were doing it for mood lighting. It's one of those weird things that they used to do back then. That you know, unless you were part of the film era and stuff, and you you were behind the the thought process of how those movies were being made back then, it kind of gets lost in translation now um yeah like for example in the 30s uh in the silver screen movies when somebody was being sincere or if somebody was lying or something like that they would show close-ups of their eyes and the reason they would do that is because that was when the saying, I mean, it's still popular today. You don't hear it as much, though, but it was very popular back then that the eyes were the windows to the soul. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Phrase, and yeah. so that's why they shot those way, things the way they did. Uh, they don't do that anymore, but they need to go back to that. It's, it's a beautiful shot if it's done right, especially if you do it in black and white. 
Oh, I, I instantly think of shots like in Dracula and the original Frankenstein. Yes. You know, that would utilize that kind of thing. I guess I just felt like the, I guess, the, I mean, I understood the, the discoloration of the footage, but it just, it didn't flow. I think it was, it was, like, it was probably just like their way of going flashback scene. You yeah. Know, it was the fucking star wipe of the 60s, I guess. But Roger Corman did that a lot with his movies, so maybe it was just a Corman thing. Like I said, right. not exactly the type of thing that I, I don't hate it. But I just kind of watch it. I'm just like, why is for five seconds it's blue and then for 30 yeah, right. seconds it's green? Why is this going on? Like if it was all one color. I mean, I'm getting stuck on it. But maybe if it was just all one color instead of just being, oh, green. Oh, wait, magenta. All right, pink. All right. Uh, don't know what that is, but, you know. But anyway, like I said, my, my, minor hiccup. But I do like the flashbacks and when it shows, it goes deeper and deeper into the story where – Young, they show young Nicholas. Which I don't think the ch- child actor was very good, but he didn't really have a whole lot to do. But he saw his daddy, who was also played by Vincent Price, Daddy Sebastian, playing uh, p- playing the both roles. But he saw Daddy killing his his brother Bartholomew. Was it Bartholomew? Bartholomew. And uh, his and his wife, his mother, it was you know was his Nicholas's mother. And <clears throat> I, I I think those flashbacks, you know, again, nothing back in these days in the 60s and whatnot were very, uh, uh, how do you want to say, were very graphic. A lot of the, or, a lot of it was more implied, you know, it was, but, you know, right. putting his mother, you know, beating his, his uncle to death with a fire poker, Murdering his mother in front of him. Yeah, no wonder Nicholas uh, grew up to be such an even keeled, uh, you know, young fella. But what would be what would right. a po, what would a Poe slash Price slash Corman movie of this era be without some creepy organ music or creepy harpsichord? I I, right. I think like when that scene starts playing, I think that is like a magnificent scene. But you know. They think it might be Elizabeth playing the harpsichord, but po- possibly because she was maybe buried prematurely. That's why she's, you know, they comes out in the story that he has that fear of, uh, you know, the, the being or anybody being buried prematurely because that was the thing that happened a lot back in the day. Back in those times, you know, how would you say when they get a uh, misdiagnosis? Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, they fucking doctoring back then isn't near as good as it was now. <laughs> and even now it's still not that great. But back then, yeah, you'd have the rich people would buy things called grave bells. And what they do is they'd friggin' if you died and they bury you six feet deep, like they're supposed to. But if you woke up in a casket, you had this little bell that you could, that ran from where they buried you. They had a pipe that went all the way down into your casket and it was tied to your finger so that when you moved your hand, the bell would ring in the graveyard and they would know to dig you up because you weren't dead. Now, that was a very luxury item. Poor people didn't afford that shit. So oh yeah. I forgot all about that. I remember reading about those in the in a history book one time. <laughs> Reminds yeah, me bells. of a creepy a creepy story that my grandmother told uh, somebody that she was convinced was buried alive when uh, she was a little girl. And they had uh, a little girl who died of uh, of something. I'm not sure what, you know, it might have been an early form of child cancer or, or something. But 
it was a childhood friend of hers that was that had died and in the coffin my grandma kept saying but she's sweating and her mom her mom my great grandma kept telling her just be quiet be quiet Shh, you're seeing things she's like no she's she's sweating and and bodies don't sweat and i'm right. just like and she was always convinced that they had buried her alive and i'm like oh creepy then again my bank grandma telling a tall tale you know you never know but it was a creepy tall tale if anything well you know what like i said that was all fucking guesswork back then you know they didn't know for the longest time you know sitting up with the dead is another thing they used to sit up with the dead because all oh, the dead moan and the dead moan because all the gas is escaping and they didn't know that at the time that's why you would sit up with the dead at night not to leave them alone as they passed on into the next afterlife. Oh, geez. Like, like, nah, this is just how gas. archaic things were, right? Right. It's like, that's not him talking to God. That's the pastrami sandwich he had last night. About a half right. hour, it's going to be done and over, and we're going to bury him. It's going like, to smell, it's like, it's smell like onions and ass, assholes in here. Oh, <laughs> uh, once we can move past that wonderful tidbit of onions and assholes. Right. <laughs> Who's hungry? <laughs> yeah. Who wants dinner? But <laughs> this is the point where I made uh, I made a note where nobody seems to know the real story. Everybody, you know, the doctor, like I said, is telling one story. The sister's telling another. But there's always seems to be a little bit more. And Francis, at this point, he thinks he's figured things out. He really thinks he's figured things out. He comes out and full-fledged just attacks uh, uh Vincent Price, Nicholas, sorry, we got mixed Nicholas, up. Nicholas, yes. Yeah. But Francis just attacked Nicholas. Just like, I think you're lying, and I think you're you're not telling the truth. I want you to show me where she's buried. So they go back, go back down to the crypt and start digging out uh, Elizabeth's, you know, the wall where they got her sealed uh, up. And then to the point where even Nicholas is like, all right, I'm going to help you dig her out. When they open it up, there is a body in there that looks like it's been heavily decayed for three months. But then again, this was. 1545 so i imagine it was probably right on par but you know and it looks like she had, the corpse had been scratching at the the roof of the coffin and this is where i think this is the point where price goes full-blown wackaloon he just starts going true it's true true no and, i uh, think that was i don't think that was when he went full wackaloon but i think that was his first that was his first step in. That was his first big, deep step in. Yeah, I think like, that's he, like, just... you know, you know, like when you went in a kid and you went to the riverbank and then you jumped in the, the freaking part of the, the water that's where it was really, really muddy. And, you know, you shouldn't have, but you did anyway. And then your fit got your foot got stuck and you couldn't get your shoe out and shit like that. That's kind of what he did. And it was ascent in the madness. That yeah. was him jumping into the river and getting stuck in the mud. I think this is where he breaks, but maybe he doesn't go full tilt boogie until a few no, minutes he definitely, later. <laughs> yeah, he, he has to kind of die inside a little bit before he goes full tilt boogie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, full, or as I like to call it, nutter butters. Nutter, yeah, full on nutter butters. And now we could really see like Nicholas is hearing voices because everything else was always implied. You know, they would hear a voice and everybody would gather there and not see anything, or they would hear. Yeah. Supposedly Elizabeth's playing, playing the harp. Yeah, the the harpsichord playing, but nothing would be there. And then the 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 maid, uh, Maria, she's, she hears something, but it's just a whisper, so she's not quite sure. Never sees nothing. But now we start 
seeing it from Nicholas's point of view, and he is hearing voices. And this is where he he doesn't lose his marbles entirely, but a few of them start to drop out of the bag. Yeah, I, I love the the the, the switcheroo here where you find out that it's been one big elaborate ruse by Elizabeth, who is not dead, and her lover, who is the good old doctor. And when she starts coming out of the, she comes out of her crypt and starts chasing uh, Nicholas down, and he just just basically falls down in the corner and starts kind of cackling like Bugs Bunny a little bit, you know, when Liz, but Liz gives everything away. The moment where she's face to face with him, and even the doc was like, you know, you did this too early. You should have waited a day, every, you know, for everybody else to be out of the house. She jumped the yeah. gun. <laughs> she jumped yeah, the gun. Yeah, she did. But when she gets up in his face, I, I think it's my favorite scene in the movie. And she gives everything away. And he's like, they, the doctor has deemed that, you know, Price has gone the way of the dodo bird. His his mind is, is extinct. It's gone. He, you know, his mind couldn't possibly recover yeah. from this. And he turns his head and smiles at her and just goes, yes. And, yep, you, and that's when you know, yep, that cheese done slid off the cracker. Yep. As you would say, sir, he went what? Full-blown Nutter Butters. <laughs> Full tilt boogie. That's yeah. right. Fucking well, gone. <laughs> Yeah, well, golly! <laughs> but now, when 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 it, it, Nicholas is really no longer there for the rest of this movie, uh, oh, but his fucking his mind, Sebastian. Yeah, he becomes Sebastian, and this is when I, this is why I made a, a a point in my notes to write down. This is why I showed up for this one. This last twenty to thirty minutes, a price hamming it up, going full tilt boogie. All right. Putting people but, in torture racks, putting putting Francis into the, the, the pendulum, putting his wife finally actually in the Iron Maiden. Well, what know? happens is he he gets the wife and he's like, you're going to suffer for your sins and then throws her in the old Iron Maiden. And then him and the doctor fight on the stairs. And he knocks the doctor back down the stairs and he drags him into that room. And the doctor ends up falling into the pit. <laughs> and that's when fucking our quote unquote hero comes stumbling <laughs> along. Oh, Francis, however, uh, Nicholas has plans for you, dude. He's got plans for you, and it's called the pendulum. Fuck yeah, he does. And when you get to that set, oh, chef's kiss, man. That set is beautifully done. It, I mean,. Yeah, you can tell it's fake and it's set up, but the artwork that they use to make it look that way, beautiful. And I, for one, would rather see something like this than a completely CGI'd castle slash Fuck yes, please. Well, we've said it on so many shows. If you can use practical effects, for the love of God, use them. Yeah, I think so much people better. think it's C- so much easier to do CGI and, you know, easy C- is CGI a, is, is a good way. for gun flash. CGI is good for toning and fixing. I would say oh. it's, it's good to enhance things. Enhancement. Yeah, enhance. But fucking full on special effect. No, no, the no, full, no, no, the full no. on sets like, you know, like they I know they. <sighs> have completely virtual sets on the set of the Mandalorian. Now, not that you wouldn't notice, but I noticed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
And I'm not dissing the but, Mandalorian because I love that show, but you know that that's again. Full on CGI looks great if you're making a Pixar movie. Yes, yes. But eventually, though, you know, I mean, when they get to when they get to this scene, I feel like this is this is the big, you know, this is this is the big climax. I mean, that oh, it is, is how, so great, and even yeah, that how big beautiful acting, is that mural? The mural on the wall. Oh, yeah, how the, beautiful is that? The the hooded cloak cloaked figures and you know with their eyes glowing looking standing down around with scythes standing around the entire island as you're fucking strapped to this fucking table and this giant fucking blade is swinging back and forth lowering itself as it swings and you're surrounded staring there strapped to this table looking at a painting of a bunch of guys in robes with red glowing eyes and scythes staring at you and the main fucking nut comes in, the guy that strapped you to this table, and guess what he's wearing? One of the fucking outfits. <laughs> All he needed was the red glowing eyes. Yep. <laughs> this is a perfect case of uh, Francis. The perfect case with Francis is he fucked around and found out. Fuck yeah, he did. <laughs> he had to know. The great seer of uh. fools. Yeah, you Francis know. got the... Francis is the doctor. No, wait, Francis is the hero. The yeah. doctor gets fucking chucked into the pit, and then Francis gets strapped to the fucking table. For... Yeah, poor Frank. I, I would say poor Francis, but I don't like him. I, he's he's not a he's not a hero. He's not a likable character. If there's no, he's any a protagonist. One, yeah, if he, there's any one negative thing I can really say about this movie is there's not really a character, at least for for most of the movie, you you sympathize with uh, Nicholas slash Sebastian. Well, not so much Sebastian, but Nicholas. Throughout the movie, you sympathize with him until he breaks at the end and starts murdering people. Right, you know, yeah, but there's yeah. really, I mean, his sister Catherine is really the only one of the movie that's truly uh, seems to be a decent person. <laughs> you know, well, she's not really either because when Francis shows up, she gives him kind of the runaround too. It's like, oh, well, you yeah. didn't want to tell you. It's like, will you just tell me the fucking truth? Yeah, well, then, they, then she, she tells him one version of the story just to five minutes later tell him, well, here's the real story. Like, how am I supposed to believe you? <laughs> right? The only likable character in that friggin' movie has the shortest screen time at all. That's the page boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the page boy and Maria, that's the only two, two that are, you know, what was the page boy's name? Maximilian. And strangely enough, let's get to Maximilian's... Uh, part in this you know he's barely in it he, he's there at the beginning he serves dinner a couple of times but he's the i always felt like a little cheated with nicholas's death he fights with maximilian and just kind of rolls over gets rolled over into the pit and then you see the the aftermath of that it felt a little lackluster for for vincent price death in a movie like this a movie yeah. this caliber if it, it did it felt just slightly cheated just like oh wah wah this didn't quite work for me, but I love the final shot. The final shot sells this fucking movie. I think it, it beautifully sells this movie. When Catherine looks behind her and says, no one will ever enter this room again, shuts the door, the camera pans over and boom, the last shot is Elizabeth inside the fucking uh, Iron Maiden still alive. Wide eyed as ever. Yep. Going to die the same way that she supposedly died in the first place. So I guess the moral of this story is: don't try to take somebody who's already 
mentally ill and try to drive them nuts so that you can steal their fortune and run away with their doctor. There's the moral of this story. <laughs> As uh, Price's character would say in the movie, well, whether it's Sebastian or Nicholas, adulterer, adulterer. Right. <laughs> just don't do it. You just don't do that. Now, this was would be not the first uh, Price, Corman, uh, Edgar Allan Poe collaboration, and it would not be the last. We would get a couple more after the, this, and uh, these were all pretty successful at the time. You know, I think this movie had a $250,000 budget and made roughly $2 million at the box office. So for back then, this was pretty good for a drive-in movie of its caliber. The movie, apparently, a uh, bit of trivia, the movie never originally had a prologue. Um, I'm not sure if the version you watched had a prologue. There's two different versions of the opening of this movie. There's the opening that, the one that I watched, that just opens on John Curtis Francis riding on, you know, uh, riding in his carriage along the beach being taken to the castle. And a TV version that was sold on DVD in a couple of places that I have seen over the years, but it's not the version I own. Uh, Luanna Anders as Catherine was, was filmed in a madhouse and it was tacked on at the beginning. Like she had been driven nuts by the, the things that had happened. And it's like, yeah, her telling I had the not story. seen that. I remember seeing it a long time ago on an old, like budget kind of like good times video type. Yeah. Fucking shit used to get at the truck stops for a dollar. I have not seen it since. Yep, yeah, the dollar ninety nine rack. Also, a little bit of trivia: the pendulum was thirty foot tall, made of balsa wood, and a big rubber blade. And also, the film was shot in fifteen days. And Sid Haig uh, was in the opening that they reshot for the TV version. I think he. Uh, played one of the orderlies, so we got a little Sid Haig action. Didn't know that. Yeah. Well, now that we're at the end of the the film, uh, I've kind of gone over the little bit of trivia that I had written down, so if you don't have anything else you want to add, trivia-wise or otherwise, uh, what do you say we go ahead and get into our final thoughts and rating on this bad boy? Sure. Uh, Well, first, uh, a little bit of trivia. Um, The the pendulum was 1961. You were correct. House of Usher was the first film. Okay. Uh, I thought so. I wasn't a, I wasn't 100% positive on that. Uh, followed by Premature Burials in 62, The Raven in 63, and The Mask of the Red Death in, in 64. Which, that was part of uh, my collection that got fucking stolen. Oh, that's the one that got stolen? Yeah, it had, uh, it had like... Shit, I don't know, 10 or 12 Vincent Price movies. I I, I shouldn't even say stolen. It, it could have got lost in the move. It could have gotten borrowed and never returned to me. I know at one point I had a Vincent Price collection, and it had about 10 or 12 movies into it. And it was uh, quite a few of them were uh, the Poe movies. And then uh, there was, I think, a Christmas movie he narrated. And uh, Last Man on Earth was in there. Uh, there's a couple other ones, but hmm. 
Yeah, it was it was a really good collection, and you can it was a DVD collection. I don't know if they put it out on Blu-ray or not, but if you can find it, it's like I said, it's got ten or twelve movies in it. All of them are the the Poe movies are in it. It's a really good set. Got some they got some overlap because every box set tends to have House on Haunted Hill or The Last Man on Earth, but I don't mind <laughs> right, having House an on extra Haunted copy Hill of. and <laughs> every house every freaking Vincent Price collection has House on Haunted Hill. You know, as well it should. <laughs> yeah, it should. It's one of the greatest freaking movies out there. You know, like I said, two out of the three reasons they're all there. Food, drink, and ghosts. Two out of those three are the reasons why I show up for any party. Right. <laughs> But what but, would you, you know, what would you what would you rate uh, this this flick on a scale from one to ten, and where would you know. rate it? Uh, even <clears throat> more importantly, where would you rate it with the rest of the the Poe adaptations? Oh wow. <laughs> okay. Well, well, let's see. That's going to be a two part answer. Um, <laughs> That's a Sophie's choice for sure. Oh fuck, man! You're making me really think on this one. All right. Well, let's let's do the easy one first. Okay. I'm rating this movie first and foremost. I love anything that Vincent Price is in. You know, I, I grew up that he was my introduction to horror. The uh, first uh, piece of media that I ever saw of Vincent Price was him narrating Michael Jackson's thriller. And that iconic voice. And, you know, it's just like it was such a, a, a culture shock. For such a little kid, because it's like, why is this old man rapping on Michael Jackson's video? (laughs) You know, I didn't know who Vincent Price was then. But then when I got older and I got into horror movies and, you know, I found out who Vincent Price was. And I was like, oh, wow, this man's career is just extensive and he's been in everything. And all the movies I started seeing him in just I. There was something about him. There are just certain actors in Hollywood who have it. And it, it's a very rare thing. It comes by once it, it, it once in a, a lifetime. And he had it. You know, Robin Williams was another one who had it. Well, he's the type of actor, much like a Robin Williams, that whenever they're on screen, it doesn't matter who else is there. Your focus is on them. <laughs> Right. Well, not only that is that they make the show their own, but they also make sure that they uplift their cast that they're working with. They make sure that, yeah, they have their center focus, but they're also focused on the story. They're well focused with the cast, you know, the delivery, the, you know, just everything about Vincent Bryce. Such a great actor. On top of that, you know, Edgar Allan Poe stories are, you know, mother's milk <laughs> to horror, you know, people who, who who really love horror and go back into the historical roots of it. You know, you know, that was the guy that was making people just fucking terrified with words. <laughs> yeah, he was making people's skin crawl centuries before, you know, Stephen King yeah. was mentioned his daddy's underwear. Right. <laughs> right. Not this in Stephen King, but I'm just saying there he 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 he's a hair to the uh, to the Poe throne, so to speak. And 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 the people who haven't seen this movie and are going to go out and watch this movie, don't let that. Like I said, there's there are certain parts 
of the the movie that really just get that 60s era cheese and i'm here to tell you folks there's a lot of good movies in the 60s era that you need to see that they all have it it's unavoidable it was just something that was done try to ignore it try to get past it because you really are missing out on some good movies of that time era if you don't that being said i i would agree with you on that too this movie, despite its cheese, is a solid seven. I can see most of what you're saying. I'm coming in, I mean, slightly higher than you. I'm coming in even eight. But it's it's everything that I want in a Poe adaptation. You know, yeah, you have to take some liberties. And I know yes, that Mr. Matheson, Mr. Matheson, when adapting a three-page sto- short story, I think the surrounding story that he came up with, you know, it's great. Richard Matheson's a great, you know, genre writer in his own right. I think oh, yeah. the story that he created with, you know, has all the claustrophobia and all the, all the phobias, <laughs> all the phobias. Yeah, well, that's usual. another thing. Another thing. I'm glad you brought that up is that they really when they shot this, they really did capture that terror aspect of being strapped on a table and slowly watching this thing just descend at you. And it, it's it's such a slow and methodical death. And, you know, if you really sit and think about it, they sped it up for time because of the movie aspect of it. But the way that yeah. thing really worked is that you were there for days strapped to that table. You had rats chewing at your feet, your fingers because they were just all over the place. You were malnourished and at the point of death because they weren't feeding you. They were torturing you. <laughs> yep. And all you the were wonderful things days, that people do to one another, right? Right. In the name of God, no less. Yeah. That's what I think this movie, you know, aside from the, you know, the, the kind of supernatural inklings that are here and there. It's all about real terror. You oh, know, yeah, it's about it's somebody absolutely. being driven to the brink of insanity and then pushed over the edge and and <clears throat> being pushed into doing a bunch of crazy shit. It's and, once and, a, once again going with our usual theme of you know stop fucking around with the mentally unstable and the mentally ill. That's right. If she if she wouldn't have been so friggin' ha 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 and and brandish in his face the fact that you know not only did she deceive him she's been deceiving him from the get-go <laughs> right right you, you know, know and this that woman she that was he, this woman that he loved and pined away for was the, the root of all all his evil she was she mockingly laughed at his love and drew him to the point of insanity yeah, and Barbara Steele does really good in this. She does really, really well. I mean, she always did well. I, I love her in Nightmare Castle. Loved her in Dark Shadows. But she does really well in this. And she's a, she's a good match for, for Price, but right up to that very end. She had just not been, had not gloated so much. She might have just gotten away with it. Right, you don't monologue. Never yeah. monologue. Yeah, yeah. You, everybody wants to do the the uh, James Bond villain monologue, and it never works out for him. I'm going to explain everything that I did to you, so you got all the pieces of the puzzle, and then everything's going to go wrong. <laughs> everything's going to go shit sideways. 
Um, I think, though, and, and this one is at the top couple of my, my favorite Poe flicks. I think my favorite is probably reserved for The Mask of the Red Death. But The Raven yeah. is really good. Premature Burial. I mean, Kumalajaya. It's they're all really good. It's you know it's, it kind of depends on which day you ask me which one's my favorite, but I think I would have to go with Mask of the Red Death, which hopefully we'll be able to uh, cover here in the next week. It's it's either Mask of the Red Death or Murders in the Rue Morgue. Yeah, oh, yeah. House of Usher and like I said another good one. They're all good, but yeah, I, I think this one is top notch. It's top notch price. It's top notch Poe and uh, Corman at some of his best. It but, really is. This one will probably be, you know, this will probably mark the end of our, our show for the evening or the afternoon. I always say evening, even when it's like two o'clock in the afternoon. Don't don't ask me why, folks. It's always well, it's nighttime somewhere. But uh, this is not going to be the last that you'll hear from uh, Eric and myself on the, the price subject. We're going to be recording another show here in a couple of days and we're going to be recording a double feature on a couple of shorts that uh, Vincent Price were was uh, associated with. The Vincent short by- uh, Tim Burton. Tim Burton, I got almost said Tim Curry. <laughs> <laughs> now that would have been something. Uh, I almost said Tim Curry, I got I had, I had a brain fart there. But yeah, we're gonna be doing, I can't, I can't believe I almost said Tim Curry. I want to be Vincent Price. Touch it, touch it, touch me. He, he, you know, he could, he could have been Vincent Price in a movie. Oh, he could have. Everybody could have been him. Tim Curry's another actor that just, he's one of the ones that has it. You yes. know, every, anything that he's in, I will watch. Oh, yeah. Hell, I'll even watch National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon just because his wilderness girl scene. Oh, well, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. He plays the lackey for uh, uh, William Shatner in that. Yeah. But anyway, getting off subject, but we're going to be doing the Vincent Short by Tim Burton, not Tim Curry. And the uh, a little brief synopsis on the Thriller video, uh, which we've already mentioned here, which uh, Vincent Price did the narration for, for uh, Michael Jackson's album. So we can be looking forward to that to come out shortly after this one and within a few days. But uh, these all be releasing in the month of January. So keep an eye out for more Vincent Price here at the Cinema Degeneration Vincent Price Appreciation Month. Do you know where you are, Bartholomew? Don Medina, I am Francis Barney. I will tell you where you are. You are about to enter hell, Bartholomew. Hell! The Netherworld, the infernal regions, the abode of the damned, the place of torment, pandemonium.